Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Juji Morales has captivated children for over 20 years with her vibrant illustrations and beautiful stories. Her most recent release, Bright Star, is a moving story about a young fawn living with her mother in a desert borderland. As the fawn is confronted with obstacles, its mother reassures her to continue in spite of the hardships that arise. We spoke to Juji about her art exhibit, Soñadora, previously on tour at the Orlando Museum of Art, which closed this past December. She also talked about how a trip to the library with her sons sparked an entire career that blended her love for art, storytelling, and the rich culture and history of her country, Mexico. So stay tuned for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we have a wonderful guest that is joining us today uh this is very monumental for us uh and and we are so excited we are joined today by juji morales juji morales was born in hop of mexico the city of flowers and spring after migrating to the u.s in 1994 she struggled with english and loneliness in a culture foreign to her but found solace in public libraries where she read children's books with her son and discovered a renewed interest in stories and art she is now the author and illustrator of many books for children, including the New York Times bestseller, Dreamers, and Nino Wrestles the World. And she is a six-time winner of the Pura Belpre Medal for an outstanding work of literature for children that best portrays, affirms, and celebrates the Latino culture experience. Other honors include the America's Award, the Golden Kite Medal, the Christopher Award, the Jane Addams Award, and the Tomas Rivera Award. In 2015, she received the Caldecott Honor for her book, Viva Frida. Thank you for joining us on the show. It is a pleasure and an honor. How are you doing today? Uh, well, I'm doing really well. I'm happy to be here in your presence and looking forward to having a chat and a nice conversation. So just a little, uh, a little secret. My son's favorite book of yours is Viva Frida and um, Just a Minute. Oh, <laughs> yes. and every time he, he would be like, why did Juji wrote this? Why is this and that? It's it's amazing. And it's really, really cute. I, I wish I could have recorded it for you. But the best moments happen when you're not recording. Right. But he is very um, into your books very much invested wow <laughs> yes i really hope that i can meet him someday <laughs> yes he he would have a lot of questions for you <laughs> uh, I, I i'll pretend that i had the answers when he 
<laughs> and the, the reason why you are joining us in conversation today is that your work was on exhibit in our local uh, art gallery at the Orlando Museum of Art. And it was just wonderful walking in into that space to see your works just portrayed throughout so many rooms and, and <laughs> to read your story and how you came up with the works that you did and just to see everything from the sketches, from the paintings, from having a section there for the children to read your books. And so we knew we were like, we have to speak to her. Yeah, and oh. even your pictures were like also set lower so yes. like the children can see it. And cause when he, when my son went in there, he's like, I think I know this lady. <laughs> I think I know this picture. She was talking about, you know, Grandma Beetle yes. and and all of the, the grandchildren. Because, you yeah. know. Well, it looked like the, the museum, the Orlando Museum, really made the, the work to make it accessible to children. And that's what I like the most. Uh, obviously, one of my favorite parts was how they recreated that scene of Señor Calavera when he's in his bicycle, yes. which is part of the story of Just In Case, in which Señor Calavera has gathered a lot of presents because he's going to go and see Grandma Beetle for, his, for her uh, birthday party and not having a lot of experience um, on, on life and celebrating life. He's coming to the party without a present, right? And then right. Um, once he has gathered all these presents from the alphabet, then he's tripped. And 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 the museum, like the people there, um, managed to have a real bicycle with a human-sized skeleton, uh, and and just put it all over one of the of the rooms in really recreating that moment of where all the toys and the presents and they just go ballistic and I I love being there I really appreciated how they made something just come alive you know mm -hmm. I love that and then they also had this um activities that children could could go and sit there and be next to the to the artwork be next to the stories and and create themselves. I really love um, the experience what they did there. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was definitely a treat for us to be able to go and and take part and just see if what they've created with your with your work there. But before we dive in any further into you and and everything that you've written under the sun, we like to do a little thing to to just like loosen up the conversation joints a bit. All right, so. Um, we have just, you know, a little bit of questions. Um, this was uh, dug deep by my friend Veronica. And her question goes, you were a swimmer in high school. What was your favorite race to compete in? I love breast. Uh, is that how you call it? And in Espanol, we call it uh, nado de pecho. Which is yeah. like breaststroke. Yeah, breast that stroke. was my favorite one. Yeah. And I, I like, yes, I was a swimmer in high school, but I started swimming um, when I was in elementary school. Oh. Yeah. That love for the water goes way back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have reels that have the best music. Oh. It, it was so good when I was, you know, I was jamming to your to your Instagram. What are you currently listening to right now? Wow, I am listening to a lot of music that is made, um, which is called medicine music. 
Right. So it's I, I like the one that is in Spanish because it's made by people here in, in well in, in, in our country or South Central America. And usually um these are not only musicians, but they are healers. And the the what they are creating is is this medicine through the, the songs and, and, and yeah. so I, I follow a lot of that people. I don't necessarily remember their names. Um, um, Alonso del Rio, uh, there is a, a group called Ayahuapu that mm -hmm. I listen to a lot. And then, you know, when, when you start listening to those songs, then the, the algorithm allows you to recognize and to, to introduces you to other, um, groups and singers and that's what i'm listening to most of the time now can, can you make us a playlist is there a playlist somewhere where we can start <laughs> off and like because i was i was into it because i know like you know at every end of your book you you like to provide lists or like yeah. you know stuff May, maybe someday huh i if really you, like the idea so i yes i'm gonna make a playlist yay <laughs> Uh, what is the best thing about Mexico and being Mexican? Oh my gosh. I think it is it is the connections that people create, but it's also the resilience. Mm. Now, it, Mexico is a beautiful country. Uh, we have many different kinds of environments. Um, we have these family connections, but at the same time, Living in, the, in Mexico is not easy, mm. you know? and uh, maybe from my place of privilege, I, I see only the beautiful things, uh, but but there are places here in Mexico where it can even be dangerous to live, mm. and I think that for me, the strongest things that I have found in Mexico are um, are people who are fighting for a better way of life. Right. And and just getting to those communities and making connections with that people, that is the best part for me. The, these are these are another kind of dreamers. You know, these these are dreamers who are working really hard, sometimes putting themselves in danger to make sure that the conditions of living here in these places are 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 fine for everybody. Mm -hmm. Not only for one of us, but for everybody. So community and community work and people who are creating um, that community work is the best thing that you can find here in Mexico. And sometimes um, you can find them here in the city. Sometimes you have to go to the communities and you sometimes you have to create it uh, yourself. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is the best that you will find in Mexico. Yes, we have beautiful um, spaces, mountain, rivers, and everything. Uh, but the people who are here taking care of those spaces and the, uh, and and those who live in those spaces are, are the guardians of those spaces. That is the best that you will find here in Mexico. Yeah, I, I love that you said that because um, me and my husband went to Merida um, after Dia de los Muertos. And you are right. Like, it's the people that make a certain area you see how they are so passionate about their culture, about the food that they make. They're so proud of the spaces that they hold dear to their hearts, the cenotes, you know, yes. like, you know, Uxmal, um, you know, Chichen Itza. It was, it was really, really wonderful. So, you know, when, when 
I learned that you are Mexican. I'm like, this makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> that's that's why you have such passion and like, you know, rigor for like life and like art and taking care of, you know, what is important like to us human beings. Thank you. <laughs> so now we now we go to the um to the questions and how we met you. How did our collaboration um with the Orlando Museum of Art come about? Sure. Well, um, my son, um, the only son that I have, <laughs> he he's um, which is a big part of my story, you know, and my immigrant story. Now he is also the person who is in charge of making those connections. So a couple more than that, like three years ago, um, it was a museum. I, I want to say Nashville, I don't remember the exact name of the city in Texas, who has a gallery, a museum there uh, for for uh, children's book art. Mm -hmm. They contacted me and they asked if they could uh, make a solo exhibit of my work. Uh, but I live in Mexico now and most of my artwork is in a warehouse in San Francisco where I live for many years. Um, so I couldn't, because of my work and my schedule, I couldn't make myself available to go and do um, uh, and, and and make the the artwork available also for this exhibit. So my son did that. He was the one who was in charge of going and making the connections and and um, going to the uh, to the warehouse and helping the people from this museum first um, to to gather the the paintings and the artwork that they were mm -hmm. gonna use, and they exhibit my work. Um, I'm going to say like for, I don't know, for a few months, it was not, not nearly a year, but it was, it was several months. And then when they contacted me, they say, we, we want this for, actually they say they, they wanted it for two years, mm -hmm. but mostly that they will have it for some time and then they will make it a traveling exhibit. Wow. So they started making it available for any other um, museums or galleries who wanted to take the artwork and exhibit it. So um, I think Orlando is now the second place that it is going to, because also that happened during the like like the opening of the of the original um, exhibit uh, happened just a few weeks before COVID uh, mm. hit. So then it was there, but um, eventually it was closed for a while. Then they had the um, uh, some visits, but they were limited. Mm -hmm. um, and I, if I am remembering correctly, it actually went somewhere else. And then Orlando might be the second or the third uh, uh, museum that is hosting the exhibit. So I know that the connection went through that original um, museum, and also my son was the one who helped. Yeah, what a what a treat it is to have your son be a part of your work. Yes. Like he, I mean, he's been there since the very beginning of mm -hmm. of everything, yes. and to now have him like helping to curate these art exhibits for you over the country, it is that's that has to be something very special. For you. <laughs> You're right because he's he's part of the story, you know, like. For me, uh, falling in love with books, starting to dream that I could create books like the ones I saw at the library, all of that happened because of him and with him. 
Mm-hmm. We were this. Well, I was this immigrant. I know he had um, uh, the the United States citizenship because his father was a, a, a citizen, uh, but I I didn't. And you know, when you have a mother who is not a citizen, uh, you go through the whole uh, experience just mm-hmm. the same. Um, so he was my companion in that journey of discovering my path in the United States, of falling in love with the books, of finding the public library. He he was all along with me. Um, and one of the strongest bonds that we have are books, precisely because we. We read them together. Um, as I was starting to learn my English, he was also starting to learn how to speak both in English and Espanol. And yeah, he's been a part of the journey from the beginning. And now he he continues being my companion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that. That's special. Yeah. Um, I wish I would have that with my son because now <laughs> he, he, he is all about the languages and he is drawn to... Um, Spanish a lot. Um, I'm Filipino, so he tries to speak my language and his dad is Chinese. So it's it, it's a lot of languages, but he is very yeah. drawn to um, Spanish because of this movie called Vivo and an old man named Andres. Oh, and that, really? Yes, that is, is everything. He dressed up as Andres for Halloween. <laughs> with, with, with a guitar, the sunglass, the the glasses and the little white loafers. Is Andres someone that you know, or he's a musician? It's a character in a, in a cartoon. Yes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but that—that's his favorite person. Wow! <laughs> yes, that's beautiful. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, why did you wanted to highlight the meaning of home in that exhibit, particularly the one that we saw in Orlando? Well, home has been like a constant uh, theme and question in my in my work. Uh, when I started making books, I was absolutely homesick. And when I say I started making books, I don't mean like books like the ones that you publish now. I mean like 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 the books that I made in my in my dining table, you know, between meals where I will clear the table and then I will try my hand at copying the books that I saw. Mm. So as as I was doing those books, I, I think that I was really kind of bringing to my life those things that I miss, uh, that I have left behind at home because home was Mexico, because that's what was, was familiar to me because everything that was important and that gave me a sense of belonging was still here. So going through my books has been that journey of finding my heart, of finding and surrounding myself with all the things that I needed to feel like like I was home. Mm-hmm. And as, as an immigrant, and, and I know that a lot of us go through that process of first not maybe not even understanding why or what are we going to do at the new place and how we're gonna, uh, we are going to do it. And and just to me, it took me years and years and years to feel like, like I was home. Mm-hmm. And also being having my heart always divided in two. Like even when I start feeling like, yes, the United States is my home, 
uh, I was still uh, like missing home here in Mexico. And when I will come to Mexico, I knew that big part of my life was there. And that has been um, a constant companion during my making of, of the books. Like, what are the, wh who is this person? Who is this person who wants to create books and tell stories or learn how to make drawings or use colors, depending of the places that I am habitating at the moment, whether I am in the United States, I am at the suburbs, I am at a, a, a little apartment with no colors, mm -hmm. or where I am now. I am now in Mexico and I am creating and I, it's always this sense of uh, what are the things that sustain me mm -hmm. and what are the paths that I want to walk in. You know, and th those are always the ones that um, decide what my story, my next story is going to be about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're talking about home. And so what I wanted you to do is just to go back with me in your early days of drawing uh, when you were a child and you sat and watched your mom uh, sewing animals to sell. How much of an influence did your mother have um, into your work as becoming a, an, an illustrator? Yeah, my mom is that kind of mom that does everything, like everything. <laughs> Um, like kind of like because she's created, but also because economy, you know, the economy also calls for mothers to be resourceful um, and 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 to create what she was gonna provide to us children. So my mom is an artist, although she doesn't necessarily consider herself an artist. She's she's not someone who draws or paints or anything, but she's an artist in life. She's always creating everything that is going to be in, in her life. Um, and I, I saw her constantly doing that. And when we were children, I, I had two sisters that I grew up with, and we will be constantly in awe to to just how she made things appear and whether it was that she needed a a, a coat or or crocheted some sandals for us or she made the lamps uh, next to our our bed with also a handmade um, um, bedspread like she will do everything and we will ask her, so mom, how do you know that? How do you know how to do it? Or, or how do you know that piece of information? And she she used to say, oh, because I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then she will, she will add, but whatever I don't know, I just make it up. <laughs> and and that has, I, I have carried that with me until now, that no matter what, if you don't know how to make it, you just pretend you do and make it up and go ahead. And whether you have to research or try and, and make mistakes and try again. But yeah, just get that kind of confidence. You take it for yourself and you appropriate it and you say, yeah, whatever happens, is, is I'm going to do it. And, and that comes from my mother. And she continues to be this person. Uh, you know, she uh, um, she comes from a big family. Uh, she had um, eleven 
brothers and sisters and she is the only one who finished elementary school mm. and it, it's, it's, it's kind of like her journey also is that of always pushing for for learning more for giving more for opening up her world and I think that that's the artistry that mm. she has inherited that she that she has passed on to the people that that she has in her life. So she's a big influence. Um, and I also remember that she helped me to figure out how to draw faces. That was very important to me. I was very, very young, very young. I don't know, three, probably four the most. And um, she taught me, she said, if you are going to make a face, make first a circle. And then kind of like calculate what's the half of the circle. And from there, start um, um, drawing your face, like make the eyes, the, the nose, the mouth, but put it on the lower part of the circle because then you will be making the face of a baby or a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I remember that lesson very well. Uh, and I still follow her advice. <laughs> That's wonderful. While doing uh, research on your book, I realized that in the midst of reading um, that I often fail to take advantage of like really looking at the pictures that are drawn within the book. If you're reading to a child, you know, you're just like, okay, I'm going to read this paragraph. I'm going to flip and get to the next page. Yes. And um, because of that, I wasn't allowing myself to really sit with the work that I'm reading when I'm reading these children books. Uh, but your art has the power of pulling the reader in and really sitting with this work in its totality. Your illustrations are so different, but all tied with a, a very signature features that make it yours. When you first approach writing and shaping a story, do you start with the pictures first or the words? I start with the words. It's mm-hmm. more like, like, like the words because because I need to get to to a concept, to a story. Yeah, so I know that I wanna tell a story, but most of the time I have no idea what that story is gonna be like, just no idea, completely Mm -hmm. lost, completely blank. And I know that if I start pulling some words, then that those words will call for other words and Mm -hmm. then it starts taking shape. And the same happens also with drawings. Like sometimes I have no idea how my characters are going to look like or anything like that. But I know that if I start making a line and just trying my hand on drawing, then those lines and those shapes would call for other shapes and then everything starts building up. But um, I usually start with words. Um, and then I, I I try not to think on, on um, of drawings as much because because my imagination is not as powerful as my as my actions mm-hmm. no my my if i try to imagine everything ahead of time um for some reason i i feel limited mm-hmm. but if i go and i bring a piece of paper and i start drawing or i start putting words then things start to happen. And eventually, eventually, after a long time and a lot of work, they will be beyond whatever I had even envisioned when I was just trying to imagine what was going to happen. So I am a big believer of 
just sitting and doing the work. Um, yes, imagining things is, is, is important, super important. I do a lot of daydreaming, but I try to do my daydreaming with a piece of paper and a pencil um, in mm -hmm. my hand. Uh, that, that was, that's what works best for me. So then answering to your question, I usually start with words, but I, I also move to other things. You know, I I might draw a little bit and then I will go to the words. And I know that whatever it takes to get to the story. If I have to get up and dance, I'll do that. If I had to go and play a song, I'll do that. Just whatever it takes to get to the story. I was wondering, because your, your art is just so vivid and dreamlike. And I was wondering when I looked through your books, at least at one at one point, if not throughout, you will see one character that is in flight in some kind of way. Is that on purpose? Is that is that something that you just don't realize that you that you're putting in there? But there always seems to be like in Floating. the air, and it's the most beautiful thing. Oh, well, now that you mention it, perhaps there is a little bit of like like uh, like a conscious search there. But not necessarily. Maybe, maybe I don't realize that that's 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 also something that that happens when I'm working that I don't think a lot about. Um, you know how how they say that um, sometimes your artwork looks like you, mm. and maybe maybe that's what happens when I'm creating and doing something, I'm sure that a lot of parts of what I like and what I am and where I want to go just appear in the page. Um, and maybe when you see that there is a lot of something, someone in flight, it has to do with some things that are also looking for their wings, mm. you know, mm. in me. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had like, you know, thought of like oh does she write first or does she draw first we both had that same question because you I I always uh, say this about children's book writers that they don't need a lot of words like your words have to be short understandable by everybody but very yes. impactful so I think like when you when you start a project you you basically have this kind of like idea of what you wanted to do that's how I feel when I would like read your books because I've read your books multiple times to this three-year-old of mine. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, there, there, there is this like, you know, theme of like just love for, for Mexico and your country and of, you know, who you are. Was that like always the center of like your art and your books for the most part? Because that is you. That's a good question. Like, like right off the bat, I don't know if I would say it is always me, but I know that when I have created something, if I look back, I can see the traces of me there. I can see uh, things I have dreamed with or dream about or things that um, that are important to me. And I, one of the things that I like a lot is research. So... Um, Part of what, like the the first impulse is I love this, you know I love colors I love uh, um, the the Totonacan culture or you know or I like music and the harana that might be my my first impulse 
But after uh, something grabs me, I go and do a lot of research and I dig and I really love to find things about about the things that I like, but that maybe I didn't know before. And 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 a lot of the stories come from from there. Um, I'm I'm here. I'm looking at my my place where I'm working at right now, and I have a um I don't know how you call it. It's just a line, a, a string here with drawings and things that uh that I keep researching. Like they are part mm -hmm. of the next story. But it's not enough that I know how to draw them now, how they are gonna look like. But I'm always trying to um, to find layers for the characters and for the stories. I spend a lot of time doing those things. So I yeah, I think that the the, the initial impulse comes from from being really attracted to something or feeling connected to that, and then it's like getting to know them really, really deep. Because the more that I know them, the more that I, I believe that I would be able to make also the reader care for them. Mm -hmm. The more information there is about them, uh, the more that you will care. And sometimes that information is not necessarily in the text. Mm -hmm. But it the, 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 the research informs even the few words that go in the text, even mm -hmm. the few objects that you will see in the scene. It is informed by that research and that that getting to know them really deep, and then I don't need to put all that research in the book. I just need to be truthful mm. to who I think they are. Yeah, that's so powerful. Yes, yes. Like I don't know if you, I don't know for the people that will be listening to this, like if you have to rewind all of that because that is powerful like you can listen to that multiple times and get a little like gems from that mm -hmm. like that pff, yes so speaking of this information what i love about your books is at the end of it specifically because you know your latest book is called bright star yeah. um, there were some explanations that you wrote um on this book one of the many things that struck me that we don't always think about is the animals, like the flora and the fauna um, that are native to this lands. Um, you know, that they could also be affected by this wall of separations. It's not, it doesn't stop with humans. Um, it humbled, yeah, it humbled me that I took those things for granted, you know, and was ultimately more ashamed um, of what is happening in those border towns. Um, what does being one with the land and understanding that we have that symbiotic relationship with it as humans, I feel like made you more an effective artist and storyteller? And yes, and that's something that I didn't know either. In As I started telling the story, I knew I wanted to tell the story uh, of, of, of the borderlands um, because of the things that were happening to people. At, at, in those spaces. Um, and then as I started researching the borderlands, then I, I got to meet people who opened up my eyes about what's, what's really happening there. It is, it is, is, is planetary. You know, it, it involves the whole planet. It's not just uh, the humans. It's not only the, the, the children or the families which are, a lot of them are going through really, really spectacular, difficult things there, mm -hmm. you know. 
but it's also the decimation of, of the land. And I guess we should know that. We should know that that we are that connected that if if animals or plants or the environment is being destroyed, we are also destroying what sustains us. Right. But but I need to confess that in, in some ways I didn't understand. I didn't understand the scope of the whole thing. So as I started researching, um, I, I realized that I couldn't tell a story only through the human eyes. Mm. That we are just one more of the of the characters in that story. Uh, and that story won't be changed for better if we don't also do it with all the with the other species with with the land with the connection that we all have as humans um i think that the, there is a struggle there that i also kind of went through which is that we tend to care mostly for those that are very close to us mm-hmm. whether it's our family our own children, um, our neighborhood, you know, but what happened to those that we don't see? Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of us that we don't see in the in the in the borderlands. There is a lot that we don't see. If you were like me, uh, you probably thought that in the borderlands there is almost nothing there because the environment is harsh because. Um, you don't get to see necessarily the animals. There is an, there are not a lot of plants that thrive there. Uh, the ones that thrive there uh, have a, have systems, you know, have ways of growing that are very complex. Um, and and so when you believe that nothing is there, there is nothing to care for. But the, mm-hmm. that's not the truth. The truth is that there is so much living there, but only because we don't see them, that doesn't mean that they don't exist. And I think that part of how we take care of each other first is that we have to see each other. Mm-hmm. And we need to stop invisibilizing each mm-hmm. other and we need to make ourselves be seen and be able to see the others. And for me, that was something that um, that that I processed through the book that I hope that I, I could invite the reader, the children to be curious and to recognize that there are some things that we might not see, but that we can find them and they are there and they are, we are all connected. Oh goodness. So I'm since you made a confession, I'm going to make a confession. It was actually my son that pointed out that fact for me. I just, I just made it into like nice words. But his it was his concern about the animals and how they're gonna like how they're gonna manage all throughout that story that made me really think about it. And then when I read the back of your book and I'm like, how did he know? Wow. How did he know? So it's like, you know, the you that's why it hum it really humbled me because I was like, here we're all thinking we're adults, high and mighty, and you know, oh yeah, I'm the mommy. I know everything, right? We I don't. And it was him that c- kind of pointed out you know, all the disparity of like what is happening to these animals and we need to pay attention to these animals. And well, children are our teachers. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. and 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 I'm I'm really happy that you tell me this about him because I we need to listen to him. 
Yes, we do. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so your your art comes with a lot of care intention. Can you talk to us about the mixed mediums that made Bright Star a little bit more different than your other books? Yeah, Bright Star, in a way, it is similar to uh, Dreamers, which mm-hmm. I created before. Um, but 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 it but it also steps into a its own direction and, and dreamers is also an, an immigrant story and is based in my own story and when i made uh bright star i was i was still um i was reading dreamers everywhere i was sharing the story of dreamers and and i was um also celebrating like my own immigration story because I had been fortunate enough to have a lot of people who extended their hands to me and allowed me to to make a home out of the new place, the United States, you know, mm-hmm. new place for me. Um, and, and, uh, but <laughs> while I was celebrating that book, then I, I was also seeing a lot of people trying to cross the border from Mexico into the United States and not being even permitted to uh, sometimes even apply for asylum, just complete different conditions to the ones that I have found. So for me, it was important to to continue exploring what happens at the border and what happens with immigration. And, And what we were mentioning before, People are not the only ones who immigrate, you know, also animals and even plants have their own ways of moving from place, one place to another. So I kind of kind of came a little from from dreamers had created artwork, taking photographs of most of the um, meaningful things that were part of my journey as an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I created Bright Star, I, I used a, a similar technique, um, but I also painted on paper and created colors and textures. And those I put inside of my computer. And then I was able to, um, to use those colors uh, to, to paint the world of Bright Star. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I also took photographs of some things that were important to me. And there are two photographs, actually, only two photographs that I use for making colors and textures. And those were, uh, first I took a picture of um, migration wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was a fence uh, uh, that was metal and it was concrete. And I took a picture, a close-up of, of that material, and I used it, to, I put it inside of my computer, and I used it to paint the, the border wall that you see in the story of Price Star. Um, the other important photograph that I took is that I visited uh, I, I actually went to Arizona and New Mexico to do the research as I was moving the drawings um and i also visited um an immigrant uh shelter in in the in the side of mexico um in a place that is called agua prieta in sonora and there there was only a few families most of them were 
adults who are waiting for to be called to review their 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 um the um, I'm forgetting the word, but to see if they are allowed to come into the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a mother with a baby who was coming. She, she was coming from Central America, and uh, and she was waiting to to have her name called. And she was with a. The baby was only a few months old, almost a year, and I for her permission to, to take a photograph of the arm of the baby mm-hmm. and that photograph I I mixed it with some of other colors that I had in my computer and created the colors for the skin of the children there so that's in terms of you using uh, photographs and using colors um, to to create my own palette and and, and then paint with that um, but I you know, there's also like like the research that I did so that um, the animals and the plants that I was portraying in the story were, a, were significant to the story. You know, that, um, for example, there are um, um, saguaro trees or saguaro cactuses that we call them. Now, saguaros are, are protected environmental loss in the United States. However, when walls had been built or any kind of device that tries to stop immigrants for, from crossing into the United States, uh, sometimes uh, in Congress, in fights so that they overturn those laws so mm-hmm. that then the land can be um, built into whether it's a raw a road for uh, you know um, um, how you call it border patrols to go through to build a wall or to put devices like really bright lights or anything you know um, and 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 those saguaros are actually removed and sometimes they just topple down and cut and and left there even though they not only they are protected but they take for years and years sometimes they are hundreds of years to grow um and they are sacred mm-hmm. and and yet they, they are being um so just to mention some of that even though it's not actual painting it's something that informs how the artwork is going to be created Hmm. so Gigi you have a very distinct voice in your book you write in both Spanish and English which allows you to explore feelings and situations more accurately um because I understand this because I also speak a second language. There's just some things you can't explain in English. How liberating was it uh, to be allowed to express your writing in that manner? And, you know, people are responding to it positively. Yeah, it's been a journey as well, because um, even from my first book, I started using words in Spanish in my in my text. Uh, but that's not necessarily something that has been allowed to do to authors. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of people before me who had already opened up that path for us mm-hmm. because because um, for a long time, it was thought that either books in Spanish won't sell. So if you put some words in Espanol, there are people who are not going to want to buy the book. Um, but I I did it from the from the very beginning, and because the response was was great, then kind of like created this trust in um in 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 this mixing of the language. Now maybe it was something new for publishers because this is something that is happening in schools constantly. Mm-hmm. And if you go to the teachers and the, in the classroom and with educators, they are dealing and they are. Um, um, valuing like the knowledge of people who speaks other languages that are not English. Second languages are third languages, and 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 there are teachers who have been recognizing the wisdom and the strength that um, words in languages outside of the English uh, language um, bring to the lives and the experiences of children. So right. teachers already knew it. But maybe it wasn't necessarily known in the uh, publishing industry. But it's been it's been a journey, and things are changing nowadays. When I make my books, um, even my my own editors are the ones who who tell me, you know, what you, these books are gonna be both like we are gonna make. Um, editions both in English and in Spanish and they are going to come out at the same time because people are asking for the books in Spanish. But also one of the things that I like the most besides having these books uh, created in both languages is to be able in my books in English already bring the Spanish and, and mingle together because to me it makes it for real communication. You know when we, we are making, we are talking about picture books picture mm-hmm. books are not only words in english right. picture books are words but there are shapes there are colors there are page turnings they are spaces and then the languages in a picture book are infinite mm-hmm. we have many different ways of of reading a picture book and it has nothing to do just with uh, whether it's in in English or in Spanish, or if we use an, a, a word that is in another language. So why not, why cannot the picture book be the best container for all those different ways of communicating, of making ourselves be understood? So for me, yes, the word is like, it's, it's, it's freedom, it's liberated, it's really being able to speak with your heart, with your brain, with your guts, with everything that you need to tell what you want to say. Um, and it, it just makes me joyful, makes me happy. And like what I do is like, like with Bright Star, you know, I want to even highlight the words in any language, both in English and Spanish, but I want to make them just beautiful singing, whether I make them, I embroider them or anything, you know, I need to make them be this this uh, magical, this powerful way of communicating my story. And to me, being able to have the two languages that I know, and I wish I knew more in this case, uh, 
I actually want to say the many languages that I know because I know how to draw, I know how to do other things, you know, have all of these languages together to just create an even more powerful narrative. That's that's real art and that's real freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Juji is changing the world. <laughs> One book at a time. Yes. Um, so you know, like like you've mentioned earlier, your books were meant for children. To me, it's a form of resistance and a call for change. To me, it's your weapon in which you allow your art to speak for immigrants and the displaced. Is this your way not only to reach out to them, but also to allow themselves to heal while consuming your art? by making them feel less alone and validating their existence. Thank you. You know, one of the things that when when I was making Bright Star, one of the things that was pulling me was trying to understand how we heal things that feel very difficult to heal. Mm. And I set up to ask to everybody, like, there are things that were happening to children that were irreparable. You know, children at the border, children who were being separated from their families or put in cages or, or, or even, even separated permanently from their families where they would not be able to see them again. And for me, the, the big question was how... Like, I am someone who makes books for children. How can I continue making stories where I am, where I I overlook what is happening to to some of those children? And if I'm trying to tell a story in my, with, with with my books, how do you acknowledge that a lot of those children who are reading my stories are going through things that we adults will never even know what to do with them, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so for me the question is how do you heal something that feels irreparable was very very important, and mm, I continue asking that question. Part of answering it was making that book and trying to find answers to that question. Most recently, I've been learning about how. If we want to heal, we might look for an individual healing, but that is not real healing. If we want true healing to happen, we are going to have to do it collectively. Mm -hmm. Because what we have to heal is not the thing that happened to me. It's the thing that is happening to all of us. And it's happening to all of us because we are all part of the system. We are all part of the experience. We are all actors and, and, and characters in this story that, that our planet and our world is, 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 and life uh, is, is going through at this moment. So if we want real healing, we are going to have to do it together. For me, making those books is, is, is kind of like a way of opening my arms. I'm hoping that we are going to do the healing together. It's not enough that I heal whatever feels like to me that I have to heal. It won't be real healing until we do it um, as a collective. Um, And Bright Star or Dreamers or some of my other books is part of this invitation. It's part of like, 
here is a little blanket you know that I extend so that we can kind of like cover ourselves with that blanket and 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 being able to continue the journey through finding uh the healing that we really need I'm sitting with what you just said before I ask my next question um <clears throat> So when I was uh, digging around to get information on you, I found your blog dating oh. <laughs> all the way back to 2007. And it is it is a wonderful find. If you ever decide that you want to write a book of poetry, I highly support that journey <laughs> for you because your writing is beautiful. And I, I, I'd like to go to the very first entry that you put in that's that's being shown uh, in April. And it's the only entry for April. And these are the words from it. At the beginning, there was nada. Nothing but emptiness from here to there. But then nada began changing. She breathed, she moved. Sometimes she even thought. And so nada became algo. Something she became. And the more Nada grew into Ago, the more something she wanted to be. And so she became creation. Creation she is. As usual, I am waiting for that kind of miracles to happen at my drawing table today. And so now here we are sitting with you in this space, a New York Times bestselling writer, award-winning author, um, and, and reading this post about writer's block, what helps you shake off those moments of blockages and pushes you to write and illustrate these beautiful creations that we spoke about today? Well, I'm really touched that you re just read that. Um, my, my blog, I haven't even touched it in a long, long time, you know, so it's kind of like like history. And, and right now that you mentioned that, you know, like being in front of the table, it makes me remember that even when we despair that, oh my goodness, I forgot how to do this. I don't know how to draw anymore. Like I, I have no words. Maybe I've lost my talent. Who knows? You know, but that, that it is being here in the space, on, on the creation space. Um, Trusting, trusting your hands, trusting that you already know how to do those things. You know how to draw. You know how to make shapes. You know how to make, you know, like like squiggles and things like that, and how to put one one letter after the other. We know all those things already, you know. And we have our stories. We have our intuition. We have our our, our unique view. We have our gifts. Our gifts are always with us. You know, those gifts that I I, I, I speak about in the book Dreamers, which is the, that, that kind of backpack that we are always carrying with us wherever we go. And sometimes we are not capable of recognizing because for whatever reason, we don't realize that we are brimming with all those things. We are brimming with the tools, with the stories, with the presence, with our unique way of doing and seeing things. And that we can always rest assured that the stories and the art and everything, it is in us. We have it. We, we are that art. And we just need to sit at the table and make it happen. Just come out. Just let it go. Let it pour out. 
um, don't don't not yet don't um, question it yet don't try to stop it to make it be something different yet so we let it go we let it come out and eventually we will do the work because we want to do something that is going to be um is going to be right for our readers that is going to recreate our readers who is going to uh, give them something to grow with or accompany them you know we don't want to just put something sloppy out there or something that even with our best intentions might end up hurting mm-hmm. our children mm-hmm. But we do need to let it out first. Mm-hmm. And later we will do whatever work needs to be done so that then it is the most uh, um, digni- dignified thing that we can offer to our readers. So right now that you you read that, it helps me a lot. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm in a time where I'm reshaping some my my next book and thinking a little bit more about my story and i i go through all those doubts again and again no matter how many books there's always this time where i feel like a child again i feel like i know the books are muy feos no you know like my drawings are so ugly and (laughs) (laughs) what is gonna happen Ah, juji morales <laughs> because that's the that's the thing we I don't know I use we see it in our children we see it in children children are always thinking that whatever they do it seems like it's never enough well actually there is a time where children fit into it's like like we adults are creating that world in where expectations are so great for them that whether before they knew themselves these geniuses, later they start doubting themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and we as adults, we are carrying with that doubt. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we have to struggle and we have to remind ourselves over and over again that we are still that instant, brilliant light that we're from. It is still in there. We have the everything we need to, to do to, to, to still be that. Um, and honoring those children that we are and honoring the children that we are working for and that are part of our lives at this moment, we can always try to recreate that that light and that brilliance to continue make, making those stories. And that's something that I have to remind myself also, even at this moment. So I, I thank you for helping me remember um, that we just have to make it work. Mm. Yes. Well, we are we are at the part of our conversation where we have one last question that we love to ask all of our guests when they come on. And that is, we want to know what your top five favorite books are of all time. If that is hard for you to answer, we also give you the option of what are the top five books that you are excited that you know that are coming out maybe from other people or or things that you've seen or even art pieces that you've seen that you want you want everyone to know about. Like my number one book, and that's because it was very, very influential uh, to me, is um, it's a book of, uh, from Gabriel Garcia Marquez the Colombian mm. author. I read that book when I was 12 years old. Um, I read it at school and I 
didn't consider myself a reader. I didn't think that I love uh, reading, especially the books that I, my teacher said that we had to read. But when I read that story, I knew I was a reader and it, it has carried me for a long, long time. Um, it's called, uh, in, in Espanol, it has a very long name. It's called La Increíble y Triste Historia de la Cándida Heréndira y su Abuela Desalmada. In English, it's only called Erendira. It's a book of short stories, um, and it is magnificent. Um, there are books that have been really, really important to me through the through the years. Um, and in Dreamers, I explore those books, and you can always go there to the images or to the end of the book where I have a list of some of the books that have been really important to me. Um, some of those books have changed, you know, like as we change as people, as our world changes, we also have different ways of, I have ways of seeing those books and sometimes I realize, well, that was a good book for me in that time, but now mm -hmm. we need other offers. We need other books. And that's why I also like your, your question, like what is what are the things that I'm excited, excited at this moment? Because some books that were, that were part of our growing up when we were younger might not be the books that we necessarily will give our children right now because our children right. are, are different children as well. And we want this world to transform. So we also need to transform our reading list. Mm, um, yes. I have here actually a couple and I just meant, I don't have them all with me, but there is this book right now by Duncan Tonatiu. And it's a book called The Land of Books. Mm. Duncan Tonatiu is, is, is Mexican. Um, he also uh, is a United States citizen. And he has a style of making um, artwork that is inspired in the mystic um, uh, indigenous art. And he, in this book, he explores the, the stories, um, how books were made. Oh. in pre-Columbian times and mm -hmm. how those books, most of them, when the Spaniards conquistadores came into Mexico, uh, they destroyed them. They destroyed mm -hmm. them pretty pretty much all of them. I, I was reading that exist um, about 15 of those books uh, are left from this one, right? Exactly, a land of books. It's a magnificent book. When I was reading it, I was so moved. So that's a book that I, I recommend. Um, I have here the book of, this is illustrated by my sister, Magali Morales. And um, I she just gave, gave me a copy. It hasn't come out, it comes out in April. And I love what she did. This is a story, it's uh, Leah Henderson is a writer, but it's um, a, a story that you hear all around the world about a little hummingbird who is trying to um, to fight a fire by bringing water in his in her beak and just putting drop by drop to uh, to stop the fire from from destroying the land. Um, and I have. 
like like this illustration which i think oh is my goodness wow yeah, so this is one of the books that i'm very excited about right now it is not only because it is my sister is because I think that both the author and the illustrator did uh, an, an amazing job. And um, I have a lot of really favorite books. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I read recently um, a, a book. This is not a picture book. This is a book um, called, they call her Fregona. And this is by David, and I'm forgetting his last name. I'm sorry. Uh, but if you call, if you look for the title, they call her Fregona. It's a story uh, that, which is the, the, the sequel of the uh, story of they call her, they call me Güero. This, mm -hmm. That was the first book. Um, and now this is the story of um, a, a, a young uh, teenagers, you know, a guy and, a, and Güero and, and Fregona. And they um, they have a a little bit of a no a big of a love story there romantic <laughs> love story there, but also in the context of family and in the context of what happens uh, with um, adults being uh, taken by immigration mm -hmm. sometimes being deported and how communities deal with with those situations but and also with the with the situations of of um family connection and community connection and how um whether it is celebrating christmas or celebrating thanksgiving or celebrating uh these hybrid celebrations that happen when you put two different uh, cultures together which is mexicans and um and the united states people um and this 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 mix, this rich mix of uh, of what's created when we as communities come together. It's a really wonderful book. I, I just read it recently and I love it. Um, and this I is it, Judy, David, David Bowles? Exactly, David Bowles, exactly. Yeah, because I... Oh, we were just talking yes, about that. Yes, Cairo loves, uh, that's my son's name, um, his other book, My Two Border Towns, or this young boy... Cross, yes, crosses the border and sees like the disparity of how life is in Mexico and then in the United States. Exactly, yes. Um, and I, I, I want to go back also to some of the books that um, like were important to me, you know, as I was growing up. Um, there is a book called La Noche de Tlatelolco. Um, I think that in English you are calling it maybe Tlatelolco night. And this is a story of um, the, in, in 1968, um, when the Olympics were gonna happen here in Mexico, mm -hmm. uh, the government tried to stop um, a student's movement that was happening at the time. And, and it ended up in killing, um, uh, of the people that were uh, uh, doing marches and, and that were organizing. Um, and this is a story that was very important to me when I when I read it. This was 60, 68, the same year where I was born. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And um, and then when I was a teenager, I got to read this book. It's written by Elena Poniatowska. And it's an incredible account of what happened in that night. Um, and and it is important because it's not only part of history. It's mm-hmm. something that is still happening now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not very long ago happened the thing in Adjusting Appen where also students were also uh, um, just may disappear. 43 uh, students from the, um, it was the school for teachers. They, they, are, they are rural school, very, very activist, very politicized. And then these children, these kids are, are being disappeared. So that's not only all story, all, all history. This is still happening now. And I, that's what I feel that books like those are very important because we need to know what's happening in our country, what's happening in our society, what's happening to our young people so that we can be there for them as, as they need it. Um, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very interested and I, don't, I haven't read it yet, but I have a couple of books here like this one. Oh, I read that one. Gender Fear is amazing. That book is so good. Exactly. And I'm I'm looking, I'm so looking forward to read it because because we really need to be able to make a war for our children to be everything they need, they they can be, they or they are everything that they already are. You know, for me, it's very important that we as adults adults stop stop ourselves from from this delirium of that we are going to transform our children so that they become something productive something valuable and start realizing that our children are already everything they need to do to be mm-hmm. but that we need to create a world where they can shine where they can survive where they are not going to be fighting for their lives right. for their survival for being visible so at, at this point, to me, the books that are important are those that, that we are going to make so that our world can be that place where our children thrive mm-hmm. um, and, and, and where we can let ourselves be the students mm-hmm. of our children, you know, so that they can be our teachers, our maestros y maestras mm-hmm. and teachers how we can create a world that they deserve. Mm. And on that, ladies and gentlemen, Judy Morales. Judy Morales. It has been a pleasure and an honor. I cannot say that more. Um, I'm I'm just so glad to have been able to speak to you. This conversation has definitely been enlightening and informing. And one that I know will sit definitely with both of us uh, we will be talking about this for, yes. <laughs> for time to come. Thank yes. you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for Judy. Thank you so much. This like affirms in my heart that what we do here is important because then I encounter people like you that I feel like is in a self-actualized like level. You know, like people need to hear your voice, read your work, look at your art because they're missing out if they don't pay attention like you have these jewels that people need to to see because 
you know, this is a very short time of like our lives, but we've learned like a lot from you, mm-hmm. you know, more, I think, you know, life experience, you know, it, this is, this is, this is something else, Juji. Thank you so much. You. It's been my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed our show. Our show has been produced and edited by Preston Long. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. Our theme song you've been nodding your head to is by Sean Kantrowitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Dammit. That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Follow us on Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses. Bye!